You know, it doesn't take too long in this life to figure out that things don't always work the way you think they ought to. <laughs> Why do they close this road for? Why didn't they? <laughs> oh my goodness! You ever go into a building, you push it, and then boom! Oh, this one's a pole. Can we just not make that universal? From the outside, you either pull or push. <laughs> Things don't always uh, work the way you think. You ever been on the internet? You're buying something, you know, click purchase, then click this, then click that, then click. What happened to the click for purchase, you know? Why can't they just make it? You ever said that to yourself? We kind of get the idea that we know how things ought to be. And we're going to talk about a little bit what that looks like here today. Last week we learned that God sovereignly chooses those whom he will for salvation. The doctrinal term is election. Bible says it. I didn't make it up. There it is, plain as day. God sovereignly chooses those whom he will save. Doesn't tell us when. Nobody gets a little sticker on their elbow to tell them that's you. So we must be faithful in sharing the gospel to everyone we meet. Yeah. This week, however, Paul talks about the opposite side of that equation, and that is responsibility. God not only uh, sovereignly chooses those whom he will, he holds everyone who rejects him responsible for the rejection. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Now, those are doctrines, my friends. I, I certainly agree with you. They are tough to reconcile. How does that work? How does God do Does he close his eye when he works on that one, hold up his left foot? On the, you know, it all makes sense to God, and one day it will make sense to us. And the more we study it, the better it gets. But as we look at chapter 10 here, we, we focus, the focus is on the nation of Israel. Chapters uh, 9 through 11, the focus on, what about Israel then? What happened? God made promises to Israel. How come they rejected their Messiah? I mean, how come so many of them have nothing to do with Jesus, the very Son of God, for heaven's sakes? I mean, what about that God? Did God forget? Did God's promises fail? No, the issue, my friends, is this second half. And this chapter begins, like a previous chapter, with Paul praying. And he's praying for Israel. You will notice here, my friends, the prayer is for their salvation. Brothers, verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now, when we hear the word saved... Emphasized mostly is just one aspect of salvation. It is a very important aspect of salvation, but the first aspect of salvation we think about is saved from the penalty of sin. We know that the wages of sin is death. We also know the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. So his prayer is certainly that they be saved from the penalty of sin, and then one day from the very power of sin, but ultimately from the very presence of sin. 
So the prayer is for their salvation. And Paul prays for their salvation because he knows, and you and I, we know this, that God will hold them accountable for their choice. We come into this world with a sin nature. Uh, Friends, it's not hard to figure out. Just watch children. Children will take what they want. You know, we try to teach them not to do that. But that comes naturally. All goes back to Adam's choice to rebel against God and the impact on all of humanity. And so the greatest thing a parent can do is teach them, you have a sin nature that craves selfishness. Gimme, gimme, I can take that, I'm bigger than you. Tell a little lie, get your way. And teach them to overcome it. But you know what they will do? They will struggle their whole life because of the nature of sin. But the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't take away the sin nature. It gives you a new nature, a new nature that craves holiness, that craves to honor God. And so you have two natures. And which one will we see most in your life? Say you got two dogs and they fight. Which one's going to win? The one you feed the most. The one you feed the most, my friends. That's the nature that we will see in your life. It can't help but burst out for everyone to see. And the prayer for Israel is this, or the problem, I should say, in verses 2 and 3 is this, Paul says in verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. But they're lost. But it's not according to knowledge. You see, there's something that they fail to understand about God. Notice verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God... And seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. I said, man, those are not words we use every day, are they? What are we talking about righteousness? It is a standing before God. And you and I know by experience. And as we look back in our life, we are unrighteous. Righteousness is about a a line. I mean, the, the root of this word talks about staying in the middle of a path, not going to the right or to the left, but following faithfully God. And we know that that's a hard thing to do, that old sin nature. Hey, look at that. Let's go get one of those, maybe two. Look how cheap they are. Yeah problem. They had all kinds of zeal. Oh, they were excited. They had everything put together and they, you know, they were so convicted of God's laws that they made other laws to go along with them to make sure they never even got close to violating God's law. You know, the the word of God says that uh, one of the Ten Commandments, shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Most of us don't even know what God's name is, do we? Yahweh, Isaiah 42, 8, I am Yahweh, that is my name. And so what they said 
is you can never use God's name in any circumstance whatsoever in case, in case you do it in vain. And so as you read through the Old Testament even, the practice is there. Whenever God's name appears, you will see translators say capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Don't even say it. Lots of rules. Zealous people, but they missed it. Because you're not saved by being religious. You hear me say that? Watch me say it again. You're not saved by being religious. It ain't about going to church. People who are saved, they tend to go to church. They tend to be with other people who are trusting in Christ, which is our only hope. And so they thought, if we're religious enough, if we are careful enough, if we do all of these things, then somehow we'll be acceptable to God. And it's understandable how they got that. Notice as we continue here, you see, no one gets to choose how they will be saved. I get to be saved if I can jump rope for 28 hours straight. You don't get to make those rules. You see, God has made it clear. And here in verse 4, we see the righteousness is found in Christ by faith. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now there's a statement, Christ is the end of the law. What does that mean? He's the fulfillment of the law. He has done everything so that you don't have to. Now, what does that mean? We don't have to even think about the moral commandments of the old. <laughs> we are. If we're wise, we will. But we're not saved by following the law, my friends. We're saved by trusting in Christ. Now, in verse 5, we, we, we see how Israel could make that mistake. Notice what, what Paul writes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Well, see, there it is. You know what the problem is? <laughs> you can't keep the law. Remember that sin nature thing we talked about? We battle and we battle and we battle, and we lose an awful lot. And sometimes we just give up. Yeah. So if you were able to keep the law perfectly, yes, you would be righteous. You know what the problem is? You can't. You know, if you could only jump about 11 feet high, well, that'd be nice, but you can't. I mean, the greatest athletes in the world can't jump that high. I'm not talking about fingers. Hey, don't argue with me without basketball here, friends. I'm talking about your feet. <laughs> you can't. You can't fulfill the law because of your sin nature. The law is perfect. And you know how I know that? I've read the Bible. <laughs> if you read through the Old Testament, you see from the very birth of the nation of Israel, they go down into Egypt to grow over 430 years, and they go in 75 people, they come out two and a half million, and the Lord has saved them miraculously through plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground. I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle. The very glory of God in their presence. And so they go down, hey, why don't we send some spies into the land and see if it's as good as God says it is, as if God's a liar. And they send in 12 spies. Ten of them said, yeah, it's beautiful, but we'll never do it because we're so tiny compared to those people. 
They've absolutely forgotten about God and what he has said and what he's able to do. And so they make a plan. Let's kill this Moses guy and go back to Egypt. It doesn't take long for people to walk away from the Lord. Fortunately for us, there's a way back. There's a way back. So all of us, we come into this world bankrupt. When it comes to righteous, uh, righteous standing before God, we are born with this sin nature, followed by years of putting it into practice. We, all like Israel, have a great need for God's righteousness. And that was the purpose of the law anyways. It was supposed to be our guardian to bring us to Christ, to teach us day after day that we don't have what it takes. We are an unrighteous people, and we need the righteousness of God. And when we come to verse 6, Paul is, is about to quote a verse that uh, he's going to reference the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 30, which, which is a remarkable passage. I, I commend you to read that maybe sometime. I'm going to read a little bit to you here today. But in Deuteronomy chapter 30, finally the people of Israel are standing at the border of, of, of this promised land. Now, they had failed before. God caused that generation to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every person who had rejected him was dead. A whole new generation stands at the gate. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we'll, we'll start in verse 19. Moses pleading with these people, knowing their nature... He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. You see, the book of Deuteronomy literally means a second law. It's, it's not one added on. It means they reviewed the whole thing. Let's take a look at this again. And after laying out all that God commands them to do, promised with life and blessing and protection, multiplied in their fields and in their houses, their families, their strength and victories and all of these things, health. Friends, anything you could desire, God had promised them. Perfect health, no sickness, long, long lives protection, wealth, riches. You're going to do real well, you follow me. And I, here's Moses. And I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. You see, you obey God. In comes the blessing. In comes the life. But you walk away. Wages of sin is death, my friends. Therefore, Moses says, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life. And length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. A little background to these verses you're about to see. And what Moses will say, 
You don't have to cross the ocean to learn about these things. They are right here. The law has been given to you. You don't need to go to heaven. You don't need to cross an ocean. You don't need to build a kingdom. It is right here before you. And he calls them to make a choice. And back to Romans in verse 6, Paul says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend to heaven? See, that's that reference to Deuteronomy 30. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will ascend to the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. What's he talking about here, friends? He's saying it ain't that difficult. It's not complicated. It's not complex, my friend. It's just this simple. Righteousness is not found in a far-off place. And faith conceived in the heart. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9. It's conceived in your heart and confessed with your mouth. Because, and here it is friends, look at this. No PhDs here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved from the penalty of sin. Ultimately, sanctification is being saved from the power of sin in your life. And one day, the very presence of sin. Not that complicated. You put your faith in Christ. You put your faith in the Lord. Notice verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified. The word justified there means that God declares you righteous. All the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 15, God told Moses, or I'm sorry, Abraham, all about what he would do for him. All of these incredible promises, making him a great nation, blessing him, blessing all the families of the world through this nation. Anyone that curses you, I will curse. Anyone that blesses you, I will bless. And you know what the scripture says? It says this, Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness in the currency of heaven. Faith has the greatest value. When you respond to God in faith, it is accounted as righteousness. God declares you righteous. But you're not. Where's the righteous come, righteousness come from? Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. But you know what? Got to make a choice. Got to make a choice. There isn't anybody in this room that hasn't come to a point in their life that 
that suddenly that gospel that they heard all of their lives suddenly was the center of everything that they could have. This is the choice. I look at my life. I don't want that. I want Christ. I want his forgiveness. I need it. I crave it. I need his righteousness. And you're trusting in him and he declares you righteous and forgives you of the penalty of sin. You say, oh, that's the cheap way out, eh? Really? Anybody hear the cross? That's the price of your salvation. Wages of sin is death, and death, Christ dies in our place for our sin and rises from the dead. But it's a choice you've got to make, my friends. For the scripture says in verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. It's a choice that everyone has to make no matter who you are, who your family is, who your daddy was, what your mama used to do. Doesn't matter. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. That word all, you know what that word all means? All means all, and that's all that all means. Let me say that again, not gonna. <laughs> Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then comes the question, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's how it happens. God saves us and he calls us, commands us really, to go and declare Maybe put a Bible in a hotel room or hand out a pamphlet or bring up that uncomfortable conversation with your neighbor. I need to tell you about Jesus and what difference he made in my life and the difference he can make in yours. Or you lay out the truth that everyone's a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's bad news. Bad news gets worse. Wages of sin is death. What are we talking about here? Everybody dies. What are we talking about? We're talking about death means separation. That makes sense, doesn't it, when you think about it? Because that's exactly what it is. And ultimately, the penalty for sin is eternal separation from God. And his compassion, his kindness, his graces, his goodness, his love. And there's a word for that. It's called hell. The penalty for sin is death. And yet Christ died for our sin. And he rose from the dead. How do we know? Because he appeared to a whole bunch of people. We heard from the reading here today. And that was the fifth time that the disciples had seen the risen Christ. And the only response acceptable, my friend, is, well, I'll go build a church in some poor country. That ain't it. That is a great, great thing to do, my friends, but that's not how you're saved. You're saved by faith. 
And so it's a choice that everyone has to make. It's a responsibility for you and I to go and preach. Look at verse 16. But sadly, not everyone's going to make that choice. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, talking about Israel. For Isaiah, the prophet, says, Lord, who has believed what, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. And what we have here, friends, quoted in Romans, verse, uh, verse 18, is a quote from Psalm 19. It's talking about general revelation. You know what general revelation is? Revelation that is available to anybody at any time. You go outside, you look at spring springing, and you say, man, it did that last year too. And you say, it's like there's some kind of design in all of this. And of course, if there's a design, there must be a designer. And it tells us there is someone. And that's something, that someone is powerful. Remember that last thunderstorm? See these gigantic, massive, massive trees blown over? That's a lot of power going on out there. Yeah. But they have not. Have they heard? Indeed, they have. For the voice has gone out throughout all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. And you know, the church is one of the tools that God uses to bring Israel back to faith. Did you know that? It's true. Take a look here at verse 19. But I ask, did not Israel understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Talking about the Gentiles. It's talking about the church. The church is supposed to provoke Israel to jealousy and to crave for the God that we serve. And then we end with this picture. Where is God in all of this? Oh, God stands back and he chooses a few. That's not what's going on here, my friends. This is an act of love at a very great cost to him and his son. But look at the picture we have in verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Talking about the Gentiles. But of Israel, he says. And there's the picture of the Lord. All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I got grandkids, and they're way better than yours. <laughs> I'm teasing, but you know what? They're pretty spectacular, and, and it's great. They come over to my house, and you know what I do? And you know what? Sometimes they go, and come running. And that is a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> you might know something about that. And then sometimes it's this. And so here's the picture of the Lord. Come on. All day long. 
You've got to make a choice. If you haven't already made that choice to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you ought to do it today. Because choices have consequences. One consequence with one choice is eternal life. Eternal life. Entrance to heaven, every tear is wiped away. There is no more sorrow, no more sadness. Only joy, my friends. The Bible says that. And the other one is hell. Luke 16. You want to look at the difference? Luke 16. Jesus tells a story about two people. A wealthy man. And his wealth is an opportunity for him to do good for others. But he doesn't take that road. He keeps it to himself, caring nothing about anyone else. Certainly evidence of a lost heart. And then there's a poor man named Lazarus who cries out to God in faith. And they both die, as people tend to do. And one, this rich man, is in torment. And he is crying out to the Lord. And hear me what he says. Send Lazarus to my brothers that they not end up in this place. Got a choice, friends. Do you trust him? Do you talk about him? Do you tell about him to others? I can't imagine that there would be a neighbor in hell someday that cries out, Why didn't he tell me? Why didn't he warn me? Why didn't he just grab me and plead with me to put my trust in Christ? Friends, let's make sure we don't have neighbors like that, okay? Let's make sure we tell people about Jesus. But let's make sure first that we're trusting in him ourselves.